All right, well, in my desk, over in my office here at work, I have a, a binder that I keep in my bottom drawer. Now, I'm not a very sentimental person. I don't typically hold on to stuff for very long, but this binder, it is extremely special to me. That's because this binder is filled with all sorts of notes and cards and letters and pictures that people have given to me over the years. These are notes and letters that have been written to me from, from former students, from leaders, from, from church members, even some of you. And whenever I have a bad day or whenever it's just been a really crappy week or I'm not feeling it, sometimes I'll take that binder out and, and I'll begin to look through it. I'll begin to look through and flip through all of these notes and cards and letters that people have written to me to encourage me. And it's nice for me to be able to go back and to reread these letters that have so much personal value, that hold a lot of significance in my life. You know, just like my binder is a collection of letters, much of the New Testament is also composed of letters. These letters, which we often call epistles, were written specifically to some of the first century churches by the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul wrote letters to some of the very first century churches. And when these churches received these letters, these letters were very personal. They were very significant. They carried a lot of weight and value. And when a church would receive this letter, essentially what would happen is they would stand up, kind of like I'm doing here tonight, and they would read this letter from Paul to the entire congregation. And when they did that, everyone wanted to hear what Paul had to say. Everyone wanted to know what, what Paul was writing to them about. And you see, these letters, they served several purposes. They served several purposes. First of all, these letters, they were written to, to connect with believers. You see, Paul, he traveled quite a bit during his time as a missionary. And what he would do is he would plant churches and then he would essentially move on to the next one. And oftentimes it would be years before he was able to get back and to visit these churches that he had planted. And so these letters, they served as a form of communication. They served as a really easy way for him to, to keep in contact with these churches that he had planted. And to let this church know that, hey, I, I'm still invested in you. I still care what's going on here. And I want to be a part of your life. Secondly, these letters, they also provided encouragement. Back then, being a follower of Jesus was not easy. It even went against the religious structure of the time. Believers, they faced all sorts of insults, of attacks, of persecution, just for speaking about their faith. So Paul, he would write to encourage these churches to let them know that, that he was cheering them on as they carried out their faith and as they continued to reach those around them. And finally, these letters, they served as a form of accountability and correction. They've served as a form of accountability and correction. You see, just like we do, the believers in these churches really weren't that different than us. They struggled with sin. And if that sin wasn't addressed, it had the potential to, to cause havoc in their church. It had the potential to, to cause tension and to hinder their mission of carrying out the gospel. And so when Paul became aware of, of a sin issue that existed within the church, he would immediately address it. 
He wouldn't wait. He wouldn't drag his feet. He would immediately address it by sending a letter to the church. And lovingly, he would provide correction and instruction to encourage them towards repentance. You see, even though these letters were written a really long time ago, and they were written to very specific churches, these letters still have significant relevance for us today. You see, Paul's words, they carry significant weight and valuable teaching. So tonight, we're kicking off our final teaching series of the year. It's kind of sad. It's our last one of the year. And our teaching series is called Philippians. I know, very original. I didn't come up with the name. Matthew didn't either. He wants you to know that. But for the next few weeks, we are going to be walking chapter by chapter through, through the book of Philippians. And we're going to be taking a really close look at the words that Paul writes in his letter to the church at Philippi. Because I believe there is much that we can learn about how to live as followers of Jesus, just as Paul was instructing the church back then. Since we're going to be talking about the church at Philippi a lot over the next few weeks, I think it's really helpful for us to, to understand a little bit of what was going on at the time, to understand a little bit more about how this church came to be. You see, the church at Philippi was one of the very first churches that Paul ever started in Europe. It was one of his first church plants. And Philippi, the church at Philippi, was situated in a very significant city within the Roman Empire. The church at Philippi was situated along a trade route, meaning that throughout the year, many people would often pass through this city. Many people would come through for, for business, for work, to trade. And this city, it saw hundreds of thousands of people that come through its doors over the course of the year. And this church, it was predominantly made up of people who were Gentiles, meaning people who didn't practice the Jewish customs and traditions. And over the time, the church at Philippi, even though it was one of Paul's earliest church plants, became one of his largest. It continued to grow year after year after year and began to reach many people with the gospel of Jesus. And you see, Paul had a very special relationship with this church. Paul had a very unique relationship with this church. In fact, you could kind of say that this church was, was really his baby. And over the course of his missionary journey, he actually visited this church several times. He made a point to, to stop and to see them, to check in on them, to see how things were going. But you see, as Paul writes this letter, as we're going to read later on in the book, it's believed that, that he is to be imprisoned. He's found himself in prison in Rome. And so in response, what happens is the church of Philippi, they get word that, that Paul's been placed in prison. They get word that, that Paul is awaiting trial under house arrest in Rome. And so what they do is they send this representative to him. They essentially send a church member to him to give him a gift, to give him a letter, to encourage him. And this gift was very well received. It was very meaningful to Paul. And so what he does in return is he writes back this letter to the church at Philippi. And this is the letter that, that we're going to look at tonight. He writes this letter to, to show his support and encouragement, to let them know how much they mean to him, even though he's found himself in this really challenging situation. You see, whenever Paul would write a letter... He would begin his letters in a very unique way. 
Paul would begin his letters by, by writing a section of his letter called a thanksgiving. Everyone say thanksgiving. Thanksgiving was typically how Paul would open his letters. It would be the, the first few paragraphs of his letter. And in this thanksgiving, he really expressed his gratitude and appreciation for the people that he was writing to. And here's why he did this. He did this very strategically. You see, Paul would express his gratitude and his thanks for the people that he was writing to because it was a way for him to, to build credibility with them. It was a way for him to, to build credibility with them and to win their trust before he ended up addressing whatever needed to be addressed later on in the letter. I want you to think about it like this. I want you to think about the last time you really wanted something from your parents and you weren't sure what they were gonna say. Now, I don't know about you, but if I were in that situation, I'm not gonna go up to my parents and just flat out ask for what I want. I'm gonna try and butter them up a little bit, right? I'm gonna tell my mom that her hair looks great today. I'm gonna ask my dad how his day was at work. I'm gonna ask them, hey, how's your week going? Is there anything that, that I can help you with? In hopes of them being more receptive to what I'm getting ready to ask them. Now, it might be a little manipulative, that's fine. You can judge me if you want. But essentially, that's what Paul was doing. Paul would express his appreciation and gratitude for these people, and it was legit, it, it was true, but he did that in hopes of gaining credibility with the people that he was writing to. He did that in hopes of them being open and receptive to what he wanted to say to them. But you see, what's interesting about the Thanksgiving in the book of Philippians is that it's a little bit different. It's a little bit different than, than Paul's other letters. That's because Paul's tone was very different. Paul didn't need to establish credibility with them. He didn't need to, to win their trust. He already had it. He already had it. And you see, Paul, he had a very special relationship with these believers. To him, they were his brothers and his sisters in Christ. He saw them as true partners in ministry. And because of that, he prioritized his relationship with them. He placed value and significance on his relationship with the people at the Church of Philippi. You see, whether you realize it or not, our relationships with other believers is extremely important. Our relationships with other believers are actually vital, meaning they are essential to our faith because God specifically designed us to be in community with one another. God didn't intend for us to, to go about the Christian life all on our own. God didn't intend for us to, to grow in our faith all by ourselves. Instead, God created us specifically to be in relationship, to be in community with one another to be able to love and support and hold one another accountable. And you see, in order to do that, in order to love one another and to support one another and to hold each other accountable, we have to prioritize our relationships with one another. We have to prioritize our relationships with the people in this room, with our brothers and our sisters in Christ. So how do we do that? How do we go about prioritizing our relationship with other believers? 
You see, in his thanksgiving, Paul himself sets the example for how we are to do that. Paul sets the example for us as to how we are to prioritize our relationships with one another. And as I was preparing for tonight, I was reading several different commentaries, and one of my favorite commentaries put it like this. You see, they said that Paul prioritized his relationship with others by doing three things. He kept them in his mind, he kept them in his heart, and he kept them in his prayers. He kept them in his mind, he kept them in his heart, and he kept them in his prayers. So for the next few minutes, I want us to unpack each one of those and, and kind of explore what does this look like for us now? Obviously, we know what it looks like for the Church of Philippi back then, but what does it look like for us now in the 21st century as a church and as a student ministry? So you see, the first way that that Paul prioritized his relationship was by keeping other believers in his mind. The first way he did it was by keeping other believers in his mind. In Philippians chapter 1, verses 3, it says this, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all of my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It's crazy to me that that when we read these verses, Paul was thinking about others rather than himself. Here Paul is sitting in a jail cell awaiting trial, uncertain of what the outcome is going to be. Yet every time he thinks of these believers, every time he remembers them, it brings him joy. It doesn't just bring a smile to his face. It doesn't make him happy. Instead, it it brings him absolute, complete, fulfilling joy. When he thinks back to to their previous partnership in the gospel, to the way that they've worked together over the years, when he thinks back to this mission that they're carrying out together, it brings him happiness, it brings him joy, and he feels extreme thankfulness for them. Whenever they come to mind, it brings him joy. I don't know about you, but have you ever caught yourself thinking about someone randomly? Like all of a sudden you're just going about your normal day and someone kind of just comes to mind. You're not really sure why, but all of a sudden this person just just pops into your mind. You think of their name, you see their face. Maybe it's a family member that that you haven't seen in a long time, or maybe it's a friend that, that you haven't spoken to recently. But for some reason, out of nowhere, this person is just on your mind. And for some reason, it's really difficult to stop thinking about them. You know, I don't believe it's by accident that people will often come to mind. I don't believe it's by accident that people will often pop into our mind. In fact, I believe that one of the the, the best ways that the Holy Spirit works in our life is to bring people to mind. You see, Scripture tells us that that we are, are the hands and the feet of God here on earth, meaning that that God will often use us. He will often use his followers to meet the needs of those around us. 
And it's our responsibility as followers of Jesus to care, to take care of other believers. So the next time someone pops into your mind, the next time someone comes to mind, I want you to ask yourself two questions. I want you to begin to, to kind of ask yourself two questions. The first one is this. What is my initial reaction towards this person? When someone comes to mind, I want you to ask yourself, what is my initial reaction towards this person? Do I remember them joyfully? Do I remember them and think about them the same way that, that Paul thinks about these believers at the church of Philippi? Or is my reaction, you know, a little bit different? When they come to mind, do I feel a little frustrated? Do I feel a little bitter? Do maybe I, I have a grudge towards this person? Or maybe worse yet, maybe it's someone that, that I really don't even care about. That when they come to mind, I, I kind of just think, oh, who cares, whatever, and move on to the next thought. Pay attention to the reaction that, that you have when people pop into your mind. The second question I want you to ask yourself is this. Why did this person pop into my mind? Why did this person pop into my mind? Why has the Holy Spirit brought this person to mind right here and right now with whatever I'm doing in the middle of my day? Is this someone that, that I need to, to encourage? Is this someone that I need to, to reach out to? Is this a person that, that I need to, to forgive? Is this someone that, that I can be a blessing to in my life? You see, Paul, he kept these believers at the forefront of his mind. Whenever these people, they came to mind, one, he remembered them joyfully, but two, he was there to meet whatever need they needed. He was there to remind them how much he loved them and how much he cared for them and how much of a blessing they were to him. And whenever they came to mind, as we see here in this letter, he was very intentional with how he responded to it. The second way that, that Paul prioritized the other believers in his life was that he kept them in his heart. Verse 7 goes on to say this, It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. What does it mean to, to kind of have someone in our heart? I know that sounds a little weird, and I know that we would never go up to someone and tell them, hey, I just want you to know I have you in my heart. They're going to think you're weird. But what does Paul mean when, when he says these words? What does Paul mean when he says that he has these people in his heart? You see, Paul is saying that he has a very deep love and affection for them. Paul has a very deep love and affection for them. In fact, he considers them to be family. He considers them to be a part of a spiritual family. And this love that he feels for them, this deep affection that he feels for them, it wasn't just an emotion and it wasn't just a feeling. This love that, that Paul has, it's not some, some feeling or some emotion that, that he's experiencing. Rather, Paul's love was rooted in his actions. Paul's love for these people was rooted in his actions. You see, because Paul loved the, the people at the church of Philippi so much, 
He was willing to be imprisoned on their behalf. He was willing to be in chains for them so that the cause of Christ could be magnified, so that they could continue to do what they were doing to reach other people with the gospel of Jesus. You see, Paul's love for these people, it wasn't based in in his feelings. It wasn't based on his emotions. Rather, his love for them was rooted in his actions. And the fact that he was willing to suffer on their behalf showed just how much he really loved and cared for these believers. You see, the way Paul was able to love like this was because of the difference that Jesus had already made in his life. This love that that Paul is talking about isn't something that, that we can achieve on our own. It's not something that we can achieve by trying to be a nicer person. It's not something that we can achieve by by trying to stop gossiping about other people. Instead, this love, it comes from the work that Jesus does in and through us. It comes from the transformation that happens when Jesus comes into our life and begins to change us from the inside out. Listen to what Paul goes on to write in Romans. In Romans 5, 5, it says this. And hope, it does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, as God begins to change us, we begin to grow in our love for others. As God begins to change us, we're able to begin to love just like Paul loved the church at Philippi. So I want you to consider this. Are we as committed to one another like Paul was committed to the church? Are we as committed to one another, to all of us in this room, as Paul was committed to the church? Do we see one another as our spiritual family? Do we genuinely see each other as family? And and here's the thing, you don't get to choose your family. Just like you don't get to to pick the family that that you're born into, you don't necessarily get to pick your spiritual family. Which means this, that all of us in this room are stuck with each other. We're all stuck with each other. Now that doesn't mean that that you have to be best friends with everyone or get along with everyone or or like everyone. That's kind of an unrealistic expectation. But it does mean this that we genuinely love one another and we are committed to one another as a family of believers. We care for the people in this room and we want to see what's best for them. We want to see them grow in their faith. We want to see God use them in powerful ways. We love one another and we're committed to each other as a family of believers. The last way that that Paul prioritized his relationship with with believers was in his prayers. His thanksgiving goes on to, to end like this. And this is my prayer, that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God.
You see, Paul concludes his, his thanksgiving, this opening part of his letter, with a prayer. And this was a very specific prayer that he had on, on behalf of the people. And I want you to notice specifically what Paul prayed for. Paul prayed for, for two very specific things. You see, first of all, he prayed that their love would grow in both knowledge and insight. He prayed that their love would grow in both knowledge and insight. What does that mean? You see, he prayed that, that they would continue to grow in their head knowledge of who God is, but not only that, that they would continue to grow in their heart knowledge, their insight of what God has done for them. He prayed that they would grow in their knowledge and depth of insight. And second, he prayed that they would be able to discern what is best, that they would be able to exercise wisdom and display character in decision-making so that they wouldn't fall into temptation and sin. He desired for them to, to have knowledge and wisdom so that they can remain firm in their faith and continue to make a difference in the lives of the people that they were reaching. You see, this prayer that, that Paul had for them, it was very sincere and it was really genuine. Paul didn't pray these words because he felt like he had to. He didn't pray these words because he felt like it would make him look good. You see, he prayed these words to these believers because he knew it would make a difference. He knew it would make a difference in their life. And so what did he do? He interceded on their behalf. He came before God on their behalf and prayed very specifically for them. You know, how often do we really pray for other people? I think if we're all honest with each other, the answer is probably not as much as we would like to admit. When someone shares something with us, most of the time, especially at church, our natural reaction is, oh, I'll be, I'll be praying for you. I'll be, I'll be glad to pray for you in that area of your life. But here's the question. Do we actually follow through with that? Do we actually come before God and intercede on behalf of someone else? How often do we say those words and there's actually no follow through? They're meaningless. How often do we pray for, for the people in our life? And, and here's really the, the second part of this. When we do pray for others, when we do pray for those other people in our life, what are we actually praying for? Are we praying that they have a good day and that they have traveling mercies and that, that God will let their dog survive because they're sick? Listen, I'm not saying those things are things that we shouldn't pray for or those things are bad. In fact, those things are, are, are great to pray for sometimes, but I want you to consider this. How many times are we, do we actually pray for someone else? How many times is our prayer that our friends or our family would come to experience Jesus in a brand new way? How many times are we actually praying that God would continue to work and to move in the lives of our family and our friends? 
Students, it is a privilege and an honor to be able to pray for one another. When we pray for one another, not only does it strengthen our relationship with them, but it also strengthens our relationship with God. And we should feel blessed and honored to to be able to pray for others, just like Paul prayed so specifically for the people at the church. You know, growing up, I was the kid that never likes praying in front of people. If my small group leader on a Sunday morning asked me to pray, I was extremely uncomfortable and I felt really awkward. And if I had to pray in front of a large group of people, it was an absolute no-go. Like it, it wasn't gonna happen. And for a long time, I, I used that as a cop-out. I used that as a cop-out to, to really, honestly, not really pray very much. Instead of praying specifically and intentionally for my friends, I used my, my lack of you know, not wanting to pray as an excuse. But can I tell you this? As, as I've gotten older, And as I've lived a a little bit more life, I have seen firsthand the impact of what happens when we pray for one another. I've seen firsthand the way it's impacted relationships with my family, relationships with my friends. And now I count it an honor and a blessing to pray for the people that I love most in life. So as we close tonight, we're gonna do something a little bit different. I'm gonna have all of you stand up where you're at right now. And as you stand, I understand that for some of you, this, this might be a little bit different. For some of you, this might make you a little bit uncomfortable and that's okay. Because my goal tonight is to stretch you a little bit. But as we close tonight, here's what I want us to do. I want you to find the person next to you on either side of you. And I want you to pray very specifically for them. And here's the thing. I don't want you to pray that they would have a good day. I don't want you to pray that they would have a good week. I want you to pray specifically that God would continue to work and to move in their life that God would continue to use them to reach people around them, that they would continue to grow in their faith, and that ultimately God would be glorified in their life. So I want you to find the person next to you and I want you to take just 30 seconds and pray for them.
Father, we love you and we thank you for the absolute blessing that you have given us in our life of being surrounded by other believers. I thank you for for the significance of being able to have people to walk through life with, to do life with, to, to have community with, who understand what we're going through, who understand who we are and who understand what our mission is. And Father, I thank you for the example that that Paul sets for us in these first few verses of Philippians. I thank you that he placed priority and intention on his relationship with these other believers. He kept them in, in his mind, he kept them in his heart, and he kept them in his prayers. And so, Father, I pray that this week, this passage would would really serve for us an example of how we are to to live with one another. That we would be very intentional to keep one another in our mind. That we would be obedient to, to reach out and to follow up and to encourage when you bring someone to our mind. Father, I pray that, that we would have a deep affection and love for one another. A love that's not rooted in emotion or feeling, rather a love that's rooted in action. And Father, I pray that that over this next week, we would be so intentional to pray for one another. That we would count it a privilege and a blessing to come before you on behalf of someone else. And God, I pray that it would be our prayer for weeks to come that you would continue to move in the lives of each one of us. That we would be honest and that you would be glorified in how we live our lives. It's in your name that we ask all of this. Amen.